open your copy of God's holy word to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 7. If you're using one of these Bibles that we provided for you in the rows, it'll be page 955. 955. Let me just say, it's, uh, it's great to see so many new faces at Redemption Hill. Always do. This time of the year, people are moving into the city for, for work, school, play, perhaps. Uh, so it's good to, to see uh, new faces, as well as uh, some of you that have just been on assignment through the summer, uh, vacation, whatever the case may be. Um, it's always good to re connect. So uh, we are grateful, just as John said earlier, we are grateful for each person that comes uh, through these doors to be a part of our worshiping congregation. And uh, we hope that you really feel and sense that from us today. But more importantly, we hope you uh, feel and sense God's love for you today, because his love far surpasses any kind of love that you would receive from us or, uh, or another human being. So I pray that you, uh, that you feel that today and know that today. Well, um, we are in the second week of our best ever series, and we're going to talk about gifts today. Now, how many of you love to receive a gift? Anybody kind of get excited about that? You know what I'm saying? And, um, and so I think we all, most of us, love to receive gifts. I mean, can you think back to maybe one of your uh, favorite gifts that you received, whether that was a, as a child or even as an adult, perhaps? Um, your, your mind's probably racing back to maybe some kind of cool toy, or maybe it was jewelry, or, you know, for me, I can remember when I was seven years old, I, I snuck out, you know, early morning, Christmas morning, checked out what was under the tree, and uh, I was kind of evaluating. You always do this, right? If you have a sibling, you're kind of evaluating your side and then evaluating your sibling's side. And I'm kind of like, man, what's going on this year, man? I know I was good, you know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, and so I'm just kind of evaluating. And and my my parents said, hey, Tanner, did you get any breakfast this morning? And so I look back into the kitchen. You could see it from our living room area, and and there is a Commodore 128. Now, some of you don't even know what that is. That's a computer, guys. It's like an old school computer. Not 64, it was 128, all right, upgrade. But uh, this ain't like a MacBook, it was, it was, but it was, it was nice. It was the real deal. I'm seven years old, man. I'm like, what on earth? This is amazing. Uh, so so um, we, we receive gifts that we love in life. And then there are times where we receive gifts that we're not so pumped up about, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can also remember as a kid going to my... Uh, grandmother's house, and, and an unnamed family member gave me a gift, and it's a, a bunch of, like, dress socks. You know what I'm saying? Dre- I mean, socks? Like, how about, how about some baseball cards? How about, like, a transformer or something? Those were cool in my day, too. Um, but socks? And, and I, didn't, I didn't verbalize my kind of disappointment, but the nonverbal was all over my face to the point where my parents gave me some nonverbal and then some verbal, you know, feedback back after that, you know. Uh, so, so there are times in life where we receive gifts that we love, and there are some times in life where we receive gifts that we are not so crazy about. And today I want to talk about a gift that perhaps is viewed in both ways. At times we're very thankful for this gift, and other times we wish this gift kind of came with a gift receipt, and we can kind of give it back and toss it back, you know, in God's direction. And that would be the gift of singleness. Now, I hope that this sermon, as well as the next three sermons in our series, uh, that what we talked about last week about 
friendship and how our friendships should be driven and fueled by the love of God, this God who has eternally dwelled in loving relationship and made us in his image to also dwell in loving relationship. I pray that that knowledge would drive our understanding of singleness, dating, marriage, sex, all of our relationships under the sun. And let me just say, I realize that this can be a challenging topic, depending on maybe what season of life you are in. So again, sometimes in, our, in, our, in singleness, there can be great joy and great gratitude. And then other times in singleness, there can be uh, great, great disappointment and great hurt. Uh, obviously, m- most of you know I am a married man. I was single until my 25th year of life. And then uh, Marsha invaded my life at that point, and, uh, and then I became married. But I was once single, and, and I want you to know, and, and I speak with all the sincerity of my heart, I carry a real burden for those who are in this station of, of singleness. I have very close friends who are single and sometimes battle discouragement in their singleness. I have family members, close family members, who at times are very disappointed and frustrated and discouraged in their singleness. So I want to speak well. I want to speak from God's word today, words of truth, words of instruction, words of encouragement that will help those who find yourself in this station of of singleness. But also, I want to speak to everybody because we, as a family of faith, care for one another, love one another. We need to understand what the Bible says about singleness so that we can think well and live well as we interact with one another as Redemption Hill Church. So I want to talk about the best gift ever this morning from 1 Corinthians 7, and the encouragement that I want to give us today is this. If if you are single, trust God in your singleness and serve him with single-minded devotion, all right? Trust God in your singleness and serve him with single-minded devotion. Now, you need to understand that 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to this group of of new believers in Christ, and they lived in an absolutely pagan culture, okay? And what I mean by that is, man, this was a culture that was averse to God, didn't live for God. They were doing their own thing. Rampant immorality, sexual immorality was running its course in Corinth, and these Believers who many of them were still immature, still living in sin, needed instruction from Paul on how to live their lives for God. And we have to understand that Paul, as he's working his way through this letter, there will be these little sayings that pop up, and they're not words from Paul. They're actually questions or assertions that come from Corinth that Paul is addressing to them, and that's what we see in verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. Look at it with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 says this. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, here we go. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, so just pause here. This was raised by the Corinthians. That are seeing, maybe they're seeing the sexual immorality around them, and they're saying, you know what? Man, it's better to abstain from sexual desire. 
Or maybe they're even looking at Paul's life. And Paul, when he came in and planted the church, and at this point in his life, he was single. Maybe they're assuming that it's better to be single or celibate. And so we're going to follow Paul. We're going to respond against the culture. And so we're going to assume, hey, it's better for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul is going to uh, answer that bad theology. And yes, there is a theology of sex. And we'll talk about it today, and we'll talk about it over the next few weeks. Here we go. Verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So in short, let me just, we're, we're gonna, again, talk about this more over the next few weeks. Paul says, look, sex is not bad. It's a good gift from God. And in the context of marriage, not only is it a good gift from God, but it is a good gift that should be enjoyed frequently, all right? Do not deprive me. I saw some of the men out there grabbing their highlighters. Did Paul really say that? Okay, I'm going to underline that verse bold. I'm just, just, just joking. All right, so, so, so this is the context. Paul is starting to, to raise answers to these questions that swirl around marriage, sex, singleness, divorce. And we aren't going to cover all of the verses in chapter 7 in detail, but we're going to hit some highlights. And that takes us then to verses 6 and 7. This is what Paul says. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. Let's pause. Paul is saying, look, this is not commanded from me, but it is commended by me. Okay, so this is, this is good advice that Paul's giving uh, as he's led by the Spirit to the people in Corinth. What does he say? I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul, again, at this point in his life is single, And he makes this bold statement, I wish that all were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. So what does Paul call singleness? He calls it a gift. It's a gift. The Greek word is charisma. It means given by grace. If if you are single today and Also, if you are married today, whatever station of life you find yourself in, you should view it as a gracious gift from God to you. So that's our first encouragement this morning. Receive singleness as a gift from God. Now, listen, if this surprises you this morning, okay, just know that in the first century, it would not have been surprising. It would have been more like astonishing. Because in, in the first century, it was such a, 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 a culture driven by family and, and the honor of the family and leaving a legacy and ancestors and carrying on your name that, um, that, that to hear Paul say, hey, it's, it's, it's even could be better that, that you were single, this would have been shocking to the ears of the saints in Corinth. And We know that not only most cultures in their day, but also many cultures in our own day sometimes have this view of singleness. 
as if singleness is this kind of second-class existence in God's world or God's church. And Paul just wants to address that head-on and say, you know what, if you are thinking like this, you are not thinking God's thoughts. Singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift. We can look back at church history and see where there have been times where even the church elevates one gift over the other. Hey, if you are really holy, if you're really devoted by, to God, if you really love by God, then you will be single. You'll take a gift, you'll take a vow of celibacy and, and, and you'll pursue singleness so that you can be, really be devoted to God. And then in other ages of the church, it has not been elevated that, that they would be single, but has been more encouraged to be married. So if you're, if you're really holy, if you're really devoted to God, if you're really loved by God, then, then you'll have a wife or a husband. But Paul steps back and what does he do? He elevates both. Both are elevated in God's sight. So let's forever debunk the myth that singleness is some kind of second-class existence in God's world or God's church. I heard a story, this is kind of funny, uh, of a guy who was asked a lot, okay, maybe some of you singles can identify with this, whether the family or friends or hopefully not people in this church, okay, was like, hey, are you still single? Anybody, anybody ever been asked this? You don't have to raise your hand. But, but, but if this is, this is true for you, then you can respond like this guy did when he said, after having enough of it, are you still married? You know, it's like, you can take it a step further. You're like, are you still a jerk? You know, like, <laughs> so so that's, that's why I've, I've titled this sermon, The Best Gift Ever. And I know this may seem counterintuitive to you. It may even be kind of counter to your current experience in life. But what is the, gift, the best gift ever? The best gift ever is the gift that God has given you. The best gift ever is the one that God has given you. And so we start talking about this gift, and we start hearing different kinds of views and theology on this understanding of 1 Corinthians 7 in the Bible. And we start asking, well, is this gift a gift for life? You know, like, am I, if, if I have this gift, then am I kind of like stuck with this gift where I'm going to be single for the rest of my life? I'm going to be married for the rest of my life? And, and there are two views. One would say that. One would say, this is, this is a permanent gift. Some people have this gift that would carry on forever. But there's another view that would say, no, this is not necessarily a permanent gift at all, but it is a gift for a particular season of life. And that is what I believe is going on here. So in very practical terms, if you are single here today, no matter what your age, you currently have the gift of singleness. If you're married here today, you currently enjoy the gift of marriage. And notice my intention is to speak to everyone here today. So we may have some singles who were once married, some single dads, some single moms. We may have some who were once married and now they are in, in widowhood, having lost a husband or a wife. We understand that God has, has gifted each person, no matter what their station of life, according to his design. 
And so whatever your, your experience may be today, let me just ask you, do you currently view your singleness as a gift? Do you view your singleness as a gift? Or is it kind of like, God, I'm tired of this. Where's the gift receipt here? I want to kind of give this back over to you like ASAP. How, how are you doing with where God has you in your life? James 1.17, we read it earlier. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so please hear these truths. God is perfect in his sovereignty. He's perfect in his wisdom. He's perfect in his goodness. And he is perfect in his gifts. So whatever you've, wherever you find yourself today, just know that there is a sovereign, loving, wise, good God who has chosen to give you this particular gift for this particular season. Now, let's pause and step back. As, as sure as I know that's true, as deeply as I would affirm that with all of my heart that, that if you're single, that's a gift, and it's good, and if you're married, it's a gift, and that's good, I know that many of our singles here this morning are not like sending out the invitations, hey, Friday night, come over, we're going to celebrate my singleness this Friday night, right? Like, can I get a little Beyonce? Oh, I'm a single lady. Oh, that, that. <laughs> Uh, 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 never mind. Okay, so, so, so this, is, this is not always easy, right? It's not always easy. I know this, you know this, we all understand and know this. So, so that is why, number two, it is so important that we submit all of our desires to God. And if you're single today, I want to encourage you to submit your desires for marriage to the Lord. Check out verse eight of chapter seven. Paul continues and he says this, to the unmarried and widows, aka to the single people in the church, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Verse nine, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So we're going to talk, I'm going to give you more on why Paul is saying, hey, it's better to be like me, but just for a moment, obviously, admittedly, in verse 9, Paul is specifically speaking of sexual desire. We are creatures of desire. God made us in such a way that we have sexual desires as men and as women. Now, again, we're going to spend more time on these desires over the next few weeks, so what I want to do today is focus on the, the area of just our general desires and general longings for marriage. So if, 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 if you are in that camp today, I want to uh, attempt to speak some words of encouragement to you, okay? We all understand, all right? Every single one of us in here understand we all have hopes and longings in life. We all have plans, we all have prayers, we all have dreams of how we hope our lives go. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife, Marsha, okay? She always prayed, right, Marsha, that you would marry a doctor. And she did. <laughs> but Dr. Turrell will never be Daddy Warbucks, you know what I'm saying? So um, go watch Annie, all right? Um, so, so we all have these plans, desires, hopes that sometimes are left 
unfulfilled. And you say, well, Pastor Tanner, like, haven't you read the Bible? Psalm 37, 4, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What about that? Like, I know God is going to fulfill this. Like, you know, I'm delighting. So if, if that's your view of that verse, does that, like, kind of make God this genie? that you can kind of rub the bottle and pop out the wishes so that he will, I mean, does that put you in control of God? And we all do this, right? We all have desires. We all have longings, man. A a child, a new job, a new opportunity in life, a little respect. We all have different wants. And we're asking God and we're saying, God, I'm delighting in you. Why am I not receiving from you? And what that verse is saying is not that God will grant your every wish, but that he will give you desires after his desires. And even if that means giving you grace in your unmet expectations and desires in life. So I really believe, I've been thinking about this for, for not just like days, like, you know, prepare a sermon, hammer it out, you know, it's like, no, years. I've been thinking about this for a long time because like I said, I've had a lot of, of friends and family members, and I really believe that for, for some, for many, perhaps for most people who are single, that, that this is part of the cost of discipleship for you. Part of the cost of discipleship, okay? So when Jesus calls people to follow him, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so that may mean that you have to set aside or continue to submit, right? Submit your desires for marriage into God's hands because you refuse to compromise and engage in a relationship with someone who doesn't love and worship God. It may mean that you have to set aside those sexual desires and pursue purity so that you can honor God with your life. I really believe this is part of what it means to to follow Jesus with everything you have. The cost of discipleship, because you love Jesus, putting his best often means waiting on his best. And we all would admit we rarely love to wait, right? No one's like, hey, Tanner, give me a stopwatch here. Like, I can't wait. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to hit the, you know, start button and just watch the, 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 the seconds tick into minutes, tick into hours, days, weeks, even possibly years. Like, no one's super pumped about that. And I understand that this does something to us. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's really, let me say, it's okay. This is how God has wired us. Proverbs 13, 12. Do you know what it says? It says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if you're hoping, longing, desiring, dreaming, praying that you would be married one day and that hope continues to be deferred, there are going to be some times in your life where that is frustrating, where that is uh, challenging, where that is discouraging, and even at times where it seems like that discouragement can lead to despair. Anxious thoughts, worries, fears. But just know, that God walks with us in the midst of our deepest pains, discouragements, and challenges in life. 
And so I understand that, that these unmet desires and expectations can be super difficult. And yet what I want to encourage you to, if you're single here today and you're wrestling with this, I know it comes in waves. Sometimes like, it's cool, man. I ain't got to worry about my spouse and my kid. You know, like, you know, I've got some freedom here. It's nice. But other times it's really hard. And so what do we do in those moments of, of difficulty? The call is to trust and walk by faith in who God is. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. So the, the antidote here is to drink deeply of the gospel, to know that if God did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for you, how will he not also with you graciously give you all things, which doesn't necessarily mean a wife or a husband, but it means what you need in the moment to glorify him. unmet desires in our life of, of any stripe. Once again, I mean, if, if, even if you're not single, you need to hear this. Unmet desire of any stripe can lead us to betterness and even bitter thoughts of God. God, why are you holding out on me? Don't you love me? You must love them more than me because like Trust in the character of God, even in your disappointment. God is no less glorious today than he would be on your wedding day if you have a wedding day. He's no less glorious. His promises are no less true today than they would be on your wedding day if God grants you a wedding day one day. You say, like, Tanner, I don't know if I believe that right now. And I'm saying, that's okay. That's perfectly okay. But could you, like, kind of share that with someone and say, you know what? I am struggling to believe. And, and, and I just am praying that song that we sang, like, give me faith to, to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. And could you kind of pull in some people around you to pray that with you, believe that with you, walk with you in the midst of your challenge and disappointment? I really love what Paige Benton Brown said in an article singled out by God for good, okay? She was single for much of her adult life and then was married later on in her adult years. She says this, I am not single. She wrote this when she was single, 1998. I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. But I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date because God is so good to me. Receive singleness as a gift. Submit your desires to, for marriage to God and trust him with those desires. Number three, seek God's kingdom with undivided devotion in your singleness. Uh, jump over to verse 25 with me. We're going to read verses 25 through 35 here. Paul goes on and he says this. 
Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as those as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, so, so now we're, we're jumping back to verses 6 and 7 and verse 8, where Paul is saying, hey, it's, it's better, in my view, if you're single, to remain single. And why could Paul say that? Well, we'll hear a couple of reasons, and he just told us, okay? Number one, he says there is a present distress, okay? There's a present distress. There's something going on culturally in, in, in Corinth and in the world in that day, probably impending persecution from Nero and all of the persecution that was happening against Christians at that point to say, you know what, man, this is a really difficult time and it's probably good if you remain as you are. But not only that, Paul doesn't leave it there because if he left it there, then we might just assume, well, you know what, man, everything that Paul just said, we can just kind of discard. Because we live in America, and we can basically do whatever we want in terms of our religious liberties. Um, so, and I know that's debatable these days, but let's not go there. Um, but he, he doesn't stop there. He, he says, number two, the time is short. What does he say? He says, the present form of this world is passing away. In other words, Paul lived with the understanding that Jesus could come back at any moment. And he, and he says, this age that we're living in now, post-Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, man, this age is going to go by really, really fast. So we need to live with a sense of urgency and the mission that God has given to us. So, so that's what I want to call us to this morning and call our singles to this morning is, is, is okay, not to have the view, man, life begins when I Meet someone and marry someone, okay? Now, like, life begins when we meet Jesus and he invites us into his mission. That's when life begins. So in light of this 
This invitation to know Jesus, which if you don't know Jesus today, we want to invite you into that relationship and friendship with God today. But if, if you do know Jesus, then know that, that there are five pursuits. Just, these, are, these are not inspired, okay? They're, they're in the text and they're coming from Scripture that I want to give you. Five pursuits that we should actively uh, pursue in order to glorify God, maximize our fruitfulness in our time of singleness, okay? Uh, Number one, pursue single-minded devotion to Christ with urgency, okay? Pursue single-minded devotion to Christ with urgency. I agree with those who say time is the greatest currency of our day. Okay, no longer is it, is it money, okay, in our culture, it's time. If you have time, then you have something that is very, very valuable. And, and, and so Paul is saying, look, in, in light of the time that you have and in light of the urgency of our time, can you get over what he says? He's saying, look, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're married, live like you're not married, if you have a job, live like you don't have a job. And like I said, Paul, what, what are you saying here? I mean, like, what he's saying is we should have the mentality, the attitude that life is so short and time is so precious and the things of God matter so much that we should prioritize those, elevate those to the supreme position and desire of our lives. Okay, so Paul's not saying, hey, if you're married, don't love your wife, because it's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're married, you should have the attitude that my first devotion and allegiance is to God. And you should live that way with a great sense of urgency. Now, let's apply this to singles. Singles have, I think we would agree, um, greater opportunity to maximize time. And why is that? It's because you have more discretionary time. Okay? And I know that, I mean, I live in, we live in Boston. Everyone's like working hard, got a job. Okay? So, so time is short and precious for all of us, single or married. But, but what Paul is going to say, and this is true, is that when a man and woman become one, then they should always be concerned always be concerned for what the other is doing, how they are cared for, what's going on with them. So listen, I, I don't make like unilateral decisions. Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to this place. I mean, like, I am constantly thinking, how is Marsha? How are our kids? What do they need? Do I have time for this? Do I need to prioritize them? Or can I, do I have the freedom to go and take care of, of, of this? I mean, so, so there, are, there are plenty of responsibilities and Paul says anxieties, things that wrap up our mind when you're married that you don't have when you're single. But, but let me say this, then, if, if you are single and more free from the distractions of this world, then don't pile up those things that would distract you in your singleness, right? Man, I've got all this time, I'm going to kind of be able to, to be free and, and do what I want to do. And so then what happens is we just fill up our time and calendar with things that, that don't carry eternal weight. Paul is after, as he says in verse 35 here, underline this in your Bible, I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
to, to maximize the time that God has given you so that you can spend it for his glory, which leads us to the second pursuit. Number two, pursue serving Jesus with all of your heart. Look back in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about what? The things of God, the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So again, let me, let me sound an encouragement, okay? Let me sound a warning to our singles who may have more discretionary time in this season of life. Who sets your schedule? Who sets your agenda? Who determines how you spend your time? Who determines how, to, how you spend your money? You, you do, Right? So let me follow up then. Who are you accountable to? What, what friend, what family member, what, what brother or sister in Christ are you willing to say, you know what, because my life is so single-mindedly devoted to God, I want to make sure that I'm spending my time, spending my money so wisely that I'm willing to allow you to enter into my life, ask me hard questions, hold me accountable so that my distracted Freer, less distracted, we'll say, safer, less distracted life doesn't become so distracted and so selfish when I'm freed up to be more selfless. Do you see that? Does that make sense? So are you utilizing your discretionary time to devote yourself to the things of God? Are you utilizing your time to to devote yourself to the, to the things that matter most? Are you picking up serve opportunities inside and outside of the church? Are you, um, are you using your discretionary time to, to push the gospel forward in, in the lives of those around you? I mean, why else would Paul be so urgent? Like Paul wasn't just saying, hey man, I'm glad I have a lot of time so I can just kind of hang out, you know, and make tents all day, Right? I mean, Paul wanted to give his life to God in such a way that people were entering into the joy that he knew in Jesus. And let me just say this. I love, I love our singles, all right? I'm married, but I love, I love our singles in this church, whether you're 25, 65, because I, I see that a lot of the key responsibilities at our church just look around. Single people are taking them up. Single people are taking time to, to be here early, to, to serve those around them, to, to, to help lead ministries in the life of our church. It's critical. And so if, if that's you, we thank you, we applaud you. If that's not you, then consider how you're using your time so that, so that you can do, as Paul says, devote yourself to the Lord. And here's a little just piece of advice on the side. This one's for free, okay? If, if, if you're single, serve the Lord with all your heart. Give your entire self to God and then look around and see who's doing the same thing because that's probably who you want to, to build a friendship with which John will talk about next week, that that friendship might grow into something more, maybe. All right? You, you feel me on that? Serve the Lord, seek the Lord with everything you have, and then look around to see who might also love God like that, because that is probably who you would want to spend the rest of your life with. Okay, number three, pursue community through Jesus with both singles and married couples. All right? Pursue community through Jesus with both singles and married 
couples. You say, well, singles uh, can struggle with, with loneliness. Absolutely. Singles can, can long for deeper and more meaningful for friendships and consistency, and, 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 and that's one of the benefits of marriage, right? I mean, Marsha, one thing I just love about being married is, is she's my best friend. We're always together. We're, we're sharing life together. We're sharing our emotions. We're, we're sharing conversations, joys, challenges, and so we, we share that as a married couple. And so if you're single, now I know you're probably cultivating this with, with your friends around you, but, but don't leave out married couples and families who can bring you in to, to get to know them, to share life with them, to do life together there. And, and, and let me say this, if, if you're single here today, consider how you can find ways to serve families and married couples around you who may have, as we talked about, less discretionary time. I'll just say this. This isn't limited to our singles. A lot of married couples, especially those without kids, will call Marsha and I, hey, do you guys want to go out on a date Friday nights? We'll just take care of your kids. You know, we'll give up, we'll sacrifice some of our own time. We could be hanging with our friends so that we can hang out with your cool girls, you know, and just spend some time, do princesses, whatever, you know. And I mean, I got to tell you, that's a huge blessing to Marsha and myself. And I know that all of our, you know, Married couples, young families, they give me a witness on that. Yeah, like, I need a date night, please. Help me out. What's up? Right? But let me also say this, then. We're going to encourage singles to, to serve. I want to also encourage our married couples and families to serve our singles. So when's the last time, married couple, family, have you invited a single over to dinner and shared a meal with them? When's the last time that you said, hey, we're going to the ball game. Why don't, you, why don't you just come and hang and do life together? In this church, in your community group, in the friendships that you're building, do you ever get below the surface with your single friends and just say, hey, um, how are you doing in your singleness these days? Like, are, you, are you desiring to be married? Is that a burden for you? Because if it is a burden, you know what I want to do? I want to listen to you in your burdens. I want to pray for you in this season, not just, by the way, okay, not just, we, we, we pray for circumstances, and that's surface stuff, okay? Uh, it's not unimportant, okay, but, but we want to pray below the surface. So what I mean by that is this. I want to pray for my single friends that God would give them a spouse, and I do that a lot. And if you want that kind of prayer from me, from our elders, from those around you, all you have to do is ask. And like I just said, we'll start asking more ourselves. And that's what we do as community of faith. But, but don't just pray that God would give someone a spouse, but pray for their heart as they work through the days that they may long for a spouse. You see the difference? It's a both and. So we want to, to through, what did Galatians 5.13, I believe, was met a a couple weeks ago. It's through love, serve, one another, right? It's not just singles, serving married couples and families. It's not married couples. It's both and. We are the church. We love one another. And through love, we should serve one another. And, 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 and by the way, like as you're praying for them and as you're, as you're you know, um, bearing that burden with them, you know, it doesn't hurt to match make too. You know, if you have those skills, all right, then you can kind of, you know, if you're not good at it, don't do it. All right, some of you are not good at it. But, um, you know, Marsha and I met because... Some friends introduced us. I mean, like, I'm going to be, like, I'm going to ask Jesus if I can, like, 
have, you know, some space next to that dude because I owe him an eternal debt of gratitude. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so hopefully you, uh, you, feel, you feel me on that. All right, number, number four, pursue contentment in Jesus above all else, okay? Pursue contentment in Jesus above all else. I, I love this. Contentment in Christ can save you from the curse of being anxious over tomorrow. I mean, like we talked about the anxieties, the fears, the questions. Will the, the hope stop being deferred? And when a single person is content in their singleness, they have an opportunity to show the world that there is a peace in Christ, a resting in Christ, a satisfaction in Christ that is unexplainable to those around them. It's really good news. What a great opportunity. Contentment in Christ can also, and this is important, can also save you from the curse of comparing your life to others. So when you're content in Christ, when you're content in Jesus above all else, you don't have to look around to, to the people that, you know, just got married or just had, you know, a date and they seem to have, you know, and, and what does that do, man? That, that, that bothers us. That causes us to sometimes have envy in our hearts, rise up. But, but when we're content in Christ, we can actually be happy for that person. We can rejoice with them, which is what we're commanded to do in the first place. And let me say this. Contentment in Jesus can also save you from the curse of comparing yourself to the idealized version of yourself. You follow me? I mean, if I would only, you know, work out a little more regularly, drop a couple pounds, right? We all, I like married couples, you, know, you too. Um, but right, we, we think about this, right? Like, Man, if the stylist didn't just jack up my hair, then, you know, like, man, when I was out hanging with me, like, just trying to be real. Because we have these thoughts, right? Man, if only this, or if only that, and, and contentment in Christ can cause us to rest in who he is. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So, so pursue satisfaction, contentment in Jesus. And then number five, pursue greater hope in Jesus than the prospect of marriage. Because what our, our good and godly desires can do, it's, and marriage is a good desire, right? It's a, it's a holy and good desire. But these good desires can devolve, spiral down into idols in our lives where our desires and our affections to be married surpass our desires and affections for God and, and lead to those hard thoughts of God, lead us to not worship him well in the midst of our singleness. And so by all means, hope for a spouse, pray for a spouse, desire a spouse, but submit those desires to God. Don't obsess over them, trust them to the Lord, get others around you who will do life together and hope in Jesus more than you hope in a future spouse. God has given us all a life to maximize for his glory. So how are you maximizing your life in your singleness for the kingdom of God? That leads us to then the final point, number four, very quickly, find great confidence from the Spirit's presence in your life. 
Check out verse 40. I love this. We can't read all the verses leading up to it, but this is what, what Paul says. He's talking about um, a wife being bound to her husband, and, 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 and he says, then, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Okay, this is a, a, a wife whose husband's died. She remains in that state. She's happier if she remains as he is. And what does Paul say at the end? And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Isn't that good? Like, that, that's not a throwaway verse from Paul. Like, last verse of the chapter, man, that wasn't too important. No, Paul is saying, look, if, if this hypothetical uh, woman whose husband died remains single, he's saying, you know what? Man, she is in a good and right and holy place. That is a gift from God. Because what he's saying is like, you know what? I think I too have the spirit of God dwelling in me. It's almost like this kind of comical, sarcastic tone from Paul. It's like saying, yeah, of course, Apostle Paul, you have the spirit of God. So there are so many people in the Bible. Most people believe that Paul was once single, became married, his wife died, he became a widower, and now he was single again, exercising, living out his gift of singleness. That's what most people believe about the Apostle Paul. But there are other people in the Bible, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha. And there was even one greater than, than these, Jesus Jesus never married. Jesus used his gift of singleness to the glory of God. So Jesus is, is case study one to say that the, the, the God man, the, the, the only perfect man who ever lived, if he was single, we can never assume that this isn't like a, a good gift from God. And so I want to encourage us as a church that the spirit dwelling in us, whether we have received the gift of singleness for this season or the gift of marriage, let's give our lives supremely for the glory of God. Because here's the, here's the great thing, all right? We will, for all eternity, enjoy the greatest gift. You say, well, Tanner, what is that? Is, is it marriage? Like, will we all be married in, in the new heavens and new earth because we all desire that and finally God will fulfill our desires? And Jesus says in Matthew 22, I believe, he says, look, in the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So no one's married in the kingdom of God. You say, well, then is everyone single, Tanner? No. Revelation 19, verse 6 through 9 says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
So the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage will give way to the greatest gift, the gift of being united to God for all eternity. Let's revel in this gift and let's live lives to God's glory, reflecting the gospel no matter what gift he has given us. Let's pray together.